Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, excited to start talking about preseason football camp because that's what we had in front of our faces on Wednesday afternoon. Led into the area of the Penn State practice facility by Thin Lizzie's. The boys are back in town. A few minutes later, we were back on the practice field and got a significant chunk of time toward the early stages of that Penn State practice number one that's going to lead them all the way into September 2nd kickoff. It was one month precisely away from West Virginia's trip up here to Beaver Stadium. As usual, had a chance to share the field with my colleagues, Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan, uh, and Grace Brennan, who did a fantastic job putting together our first practice photo gallery of fall camp. That's up on the site. Our practice notebook is up on the site. We have an injury report answering a bunch of those questions that were kind of lingering after spring ball with, with some significant players sidelined along the way back in March and April. Uh, we also have a full photo gallery, as I mentioned, a bunch of newcomers out there, some of the transfers who've arrived in town over the summer. And we have a video a, a video a highlight reel of a bunch of stuff. Nick Singleton, Abdul Carter, Drew Aller, uh, and a lot more up on lines247.com right now. And without further ado, I'll bring in my colleagues, Daniel Gowan and Mark Brennan. And fellas, I just laid it all out. We had a very productive Wednesday. We're all excited about getting to see this team again. Uh, all due respect to the, the coverage that we've done on this podcast the last several months. It just kicks into a different gear when we have football on the field and we're able to look at that. And so, Mark, with that in mind, we also have a promo going on at lines247.com, but it ends Thursday at midnight. It's one of those flash sales. It started Wednesday. It ends Thursday night, but we lo- we're going to release this Thursday afternoon, so hopefully a lot of you are listening where you can still take advantage. Yeah, as you said, hopefully people are listening or watching this on uh, Thursday before, before it expires. Listen, they played the boys are back in town. These three boys, we were in town all summer. Uh, having fun covering camps, but you're right. Now the season's here, and uh, the 24-7 Sports Network is allowing us to do our best special of the year, 75% off a new annual subscription. Comes out to less than $0.08 a day. Listen, I I just want to be extremely thankful to the Nittany Nation because we just reached another all-time high in subscriptions, and that doesn't happen without – just tremendous fans who are super interested in the program. So if you are interested at that level, at the high end level, where you want to know about the recruiting, where you want the practice reports, where you want live updates, wherever we are coming on to VIP levels, the best way to go. And I'm not going to sit here and try to sell it for, for, for 15 minutes, go to the site, check the VIP content. And I think it speaks for itself. You know, one thing we've always said, whether we've had personnel changes, whether it was COVID, whether whatever happened, listen, give us a chance to prove ourselves. Check out the site. And if you think it's worth it, come on board. And, you know, right here in my heart, I'm so happy that we have such great fans who have taken advantage of that. And I know there are a lot more out there. And remember, if you're already a subscriber and you're out of your promo period, you are eligible for uh, Paramount Plus. And trust me, that's going to come in real handy this year and beyond because Paramount Plus, like us, owned by CBS, and with a lot of the Big Ten rights transferring to CBS next year, you're going to see more and more content on Paramount Plus. That's a free subscription. So it's a really nice perk. So for all of our current subscribers, listen, if you're on an annual plan, I, I just sometimes people think we overlook them. We don't. They are so important to us. But that's enough of the pitch. I know people want to talk football. They want to talk preseason practice. I had some pep in my step at my old age yesterday. It was fun to be out there. There were some guys scrapping. I mean, there was just a level of energy out there on that field that was palpable. And back in the old days, you know, you didn't necessarily always see that. 
you know, they kind of eased into it. And I know there are rules and stuff with when they could use pads and heat and hydration and everything else. But I can tell you, people, they they were not messing around. They stepped into practice on Wednesday and everybody was ready to get after it. And so are we. Yeah, they're in this acclimatization period right now across college football, the first week of, of camps. And, and the first couple of days, that involves just the helmets and what they call spider pads, very light pads. We'll see shoulder pads come on later in, in week one. Ultimately, by the end of week one, you'll see full pads and, and we'll really start to, to see some hit, hitting, hopefully, down the road. We will get a chance to see our next practice at Lions 24-7 on Sunday, which is going to come after all the media day festivities at Beaver Stadium. So Sunday, circle that in your calendar. Nittany Lions fans, get over to Lions247.com because we're going to have a ton. It's going to be like the Super Bowl of preseason football coverage uh, for Penn State and Happy Valley. So you guys take your Sundays off and enjoy the coverage. We'll be hard at work bringing the latest on Penn State. and That's why it's another great time. Take advantage of that 75% off deal. Daniel, let's get over to you now. And, and I think we need to lead off with the fact that it was a very positive reinforcement uh, in terms of where this roster was to see all those guys back on the field. You had uh, several veterans, and, and I'll start with two tight ends. I'll start with two linebackers, uh, Dom DeLuca and Tyler Elsden. But I'll let you take over and, and lead the conversation with the tight ends because Tyler Warren, Theo Johnson, Look, we've already seen the breakout party for Theo Johnson happen. I know a lot of people in Lash, a lot of us who cover the team think something like that could follow for Tyler Warren here in 2023. And those guys were leading tight end drills, something we did not see all of spring practice. I, I think there's a lot of excitement about this Penn State tight end room. But in order to have really the, the full excitement, you need Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren out there. Uh, they were not out there in the spring, but in our first look at Penn State uh, on Wednesday night, you see Theo Johnson, you see Tyler Warren. Uh, Theo Johnson's listed at 6'6", uh, 264. Um, I don't have Warren's measurements uh, in front of me right now, but I think it's in the same neighborhood. Um, and they look every bit of it. Um, I think when you talk about players that can really change the complexion of the Penn State offense, I think Johnson and Warren are two of them. Uh, at, when we were out in Indianapolis, James Franklin was talking about the wide receivers, and he was asked, well, if you don't get that clear cut number three, could that mean more 12 personnel? And James Franklin said, of course, um, that they view that those tight ends as, you know, as key parts of the passing game. And if Theo Johnson is better than the number three wide receiver, if Tyler Warren is better than the number four wide receiver, that's where they're going to go uh, with their personnel. But I, I think when you talk about unlocking the full potential of this Penn state offense under Mike Yersich, um, you start with getting those two guys, back um i think beyond them on those are the the two big guys who are missing um on the offensive side of the ball and as you covered uh dom deluca tyler elsden back on defense and then kaziah Izard, uh, who did not practice in the spring someone who was back and you know james franklin wants to see his defensive tackles uh be bigger that's been a talking point since that michigan game uh, i think izzard is uh and that whole group but izzard especially uh fits that bill with kind of that that first impression that first eye test, obviously in the spider pads, it's it's not quite what you're going to see on Saturdays, but it's a good glimpse. And I think that he was someone who really impressed uh, physically with his return to the field. 
we're going to get to more on that defensive tackle group because there is some serious that no meals were skipped this summer. I'll put it that way. And, and, and that's a good thing. It's what James Franklin's been public about. And, and we'll report on some of what we saw from, from player development in just a bit, but circling back by the way, in terms of player development uh, yeah, Theo Johnson, six foot six, 265 ish pounds. And he looks like it. Um, and last year he led this team in yards per reception. I mean, he was at 16 and a half yards per catch and he's not that much bigger than he was last year. He was already a massive frame guy. Look, we've talked a lot about Keandre Lambert-Smith guys being that number one wide receiver, stepping up to the plate. What's Dante Cephas going to do at receiver? To me, there's a chance that we work our way through the first few games of the season and come away thinking that Theo Johnson is the most respected pass target in the eyes of the defensive coordinator. And I think that's really what you're going to have to watch for is what did that second half last year, Mark Brennan, do for Theo Johnson and the Penn State offensive attack to start out this season because it's such a different uh, beast of a situation and, and beast of a prospect. All due respect to a second-round NFL draft pick and Brenton Strange, you're just talking about a different variable in terms of trying to guard this guy. Yeah, I mean, he, he's big and he, and he can run, and, and you, speak, you spoke to it. I mean, the fact that he led the team in yards per catch – is crazy, but don't sleep on Tyler Warren. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been high on this guy for multiple years. He's been banged up. And my hope for Tyler Warren is that he was able to take the spring and take a step back and just get completely healthy. Because I think if he is completely healthy, he's going to be in Theo's John in Theo Johnson's range. Now, the one thing we have to remember about Theo, you know, yeah, he had a minor off the field incident, uh, you know, earlier this year where how how does that impact him you know we don't expect james franklin to tell us about any possible discipline or if the discipline's already happened or whatever's going on and i'm telling you if if you read the details of it and go ahead and look it up if you want it was a minor thing in in my view i I don't know what other people think uh so i don't think it's going to be something that impacts him long term but maybe that first game or two are we going to see something where maybe we don't see as much of him as we ordinarily would but I'm just, you know, so even if you don't see as much of him early, he is going to be a big factor. And the fact that James Franklin out of Big Ten Media Days, he mentioned it multiple times about 12 personnel, about the option of having those two uh, tight ends maybe take uh, catches away from some of those receivers. I think that's important. And, you know, w- without getting into too much detail of some of the things we saw at practice, I think the receivers understand that, too. I, I think yes. some of these receivers know that they are fighting for playing time. Excuse my choice of words. But listen, for people who don't know, when you're at practice, uh, you know, there's little minor scrapes and scraps all the time. And, and we saw a little one uh, uh, yesterday. But, it, you know, the thing that jumped out to me about that wasn't that, you know, it was I, Anthony Ivey and, and Keandre Lambert-Smith kind of going at each other. It was the intensity on day one. You know, these guys came in ready to play. I don't view that as necessarily a bad thing. Now, you can't have that happen in a game. You got to you got to be a cool customer in the game. And we saw with Omari Evans in in the uh, blue white game where he celebrated a little too much. So you have some of these younger receivers are going to have to learn a little bit. But I actually like the intensity that we saw. And I think these receivers, especially the younger ones, they listen to what James Franklin says. And if he's out there saying, hey, the tight ends may be taking some catches away from the receivers. You think these guys are competitive? Oh, they're going to be competitive and ready to go. 
And look, we, we know that, that Keandre Lambert-Smith is among the most passionate players on this team. He's also told us repeatedly that a defining narrative of his career at the college level has been keeping his mental in check. And so interesting to see him you know, spotlighted a little bit during our 15-minute look at Penn State practice that it would happen in that moment. But uh, there should be some pressure being felt uh, and passion being felt in that wide receiver room. It is a, an, a room that is evolving it is a room where there are a lot of reps for stake and it's a room where if you don't make it happen for yourself this year there are several guys that are going to be wondering about their future beyond 2023 with penn state but i don't want to get into that room just yet we have a mailback question on it i want to circle back to some of these injury returns and in the linebacker room you had don deluca and tyler elsden Don DeLuca, of course, named a special teams captain coming out of spring camp, but he didn't play uh, during that blue-white game. We didn't. He was sidelined during spring ball. He was back on the field. He's a guy who hit 200 defensive snaps last year as a walk-on, earned scholarship status going into the offseason. And then Tyler Elsden, 13 games started at the Mike linebacker position, seeded a ton of snaps along the way to Kobe King. Uh, you've got Tamir Robinson now trying to, to push his way into that conversation as a freshman who got to campus early. Uh, but first off, it's it's a room that, that it's a group just seen out the, in the field under the uh, under the direction of Manny Diaz that looks bigger because there, there's more of them than we saw in the spring. And then you factor in those three freshmen, two of which you'd already seen in Tamir Robinson and then Tony Rojas, who was the story of spring camp. But we got our eyes on Kavion Keys for the first time at pads. And just sticking with the linebacker room before we get to some freshman injury updates and a little more on Kaziah Izzard, this room uh, right now, I mentioned it last episode, five guys are back who played 200-plus snaps last year. Uh, Tony Rojas made a bunch of noise. But you're looking long-term, and I don't want to forget to include uh, 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 Keon Wiley in this conversation, a redshirt freshman. He's been repping at the mic for the last year and a half. He was developmental player of the year on defense last year, so he's someone to keep an eye on. But this group of three freshmen – it's probably the, the most impressive collective group of, of freshman linebackers that I think I've seen come to Penn State um, and where they're at on the first day of fall camp. You know, I, I'm thinking back to that 2018 class, which had Micah Parsons, Nick Tarburton and Jesse Lucetta, all guys who you know were, were blue chip talents by 24-7 sports determination. But Micah is the only one who's stuck at linebacker long term. Nick Tarburton slid over to the defensive end during his spring camp, and Jesse Lucchetta ultimately was going to land there. Those guys were physically impressive looking, but I think when you say this group looks great and they're going to stay at linebacker, these are linebackers for the long term. This is that group, Kavion Keys uh, and, and, and Tony Rojas and Tamia Robinson. And I'm not going to sleep on Robinson here, guys. Uh, just the way he's been able to maneuver at that frame after missing a big chunk of time as a high school upperclassman due to injury issues. Seeing him on the field turned my head a little bit this spring. And I really want to see what he follows it up with this fall. It's a crowded room. Now you got Elsden back there in the middle. That's going to take opportunities away from him. But Tony Rojas is the story here. Because if he's 225 pounds still, and that's what he was in April, I'm not buying it. If he was 225 at the end of spring camp, he's got to be 230 or plus at this point. He continues to fill out. He looks like a Big Ten ready linebacker well before his first conference game. And I would probably qualify him as a lanky prospect when he was a high school standout last year. Even though he was dominating on the field, there's nothing lanky about Tony Ross anymore. So that's my way of bridging the gap over to linebacker by mentioning the injury updates and then getting to the freshmen, which were really my big takeaway from spending some time with Manny Diaz's group on Wednesday. Okay, one thing I would say about those freshmen, uh, they have an opportunity to learn. You know, the, the, it, I don't think any of those guys is in a position where they're going to be need, needed uh, to be key players immediately. 
And for people who followed Penn State for a long time, listen, we saw Micah Parsons, you know, wait his turn behind Koa Farmer. We saw LeVar Arrington wait his turn behind Aaron Gatton. Sorry, guys. I know that's, that predates you by, by a lot. But all, but people will remember when, you know, when LeVar Arrington was here and he was playing behind Aaron Gatton and people were going nuts because you could tell that, that, that LeVar was great. But my point being – can I add one, Mark? Can I add yeah, one that's kind of, sort of? Last year, you remember the starting trio at linebacker. Tyler Elsden, Jonathan Sutherland, Curtis Jacobs. Abdul Carter was so good that they moved Jacobs back to Sam and, and, and slid and Jonathan Sutherland back to a backup role, which is really what was necessary for this defense. But you had Abdul Carter essentially playing behind Jonathan Sutherland if you want to view it in the frame of starting linebackers. But the point being, the, the even the elite of the elite, at that position, I think it makes sense to, to ease them in. And I think that's the beauty of what these guys are going to be able to do because you have so much depth at linebacker now. We, we, we talk about it, it seems like, on almost every podcast where you go back one year and it's like, well, these guys are in trouble. What are they going to do? I also think we have to give a shout-out to Manny Diaz, man. Uh, you know, I don't know how long that guy's going to be here coaching, but people ought to cherish every second. Because, you know, number one, I, I, he's obviously a big reason that this latest class that some of these kids decided to come. And, and number two, what we've seen with him in a relatively short time by way of development. You know, Abdul Carter, it, 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 you may think it's easy to coach a guy like Abdul Carter, just throw him out on the field and, and let him go. And the temptation is to do that. But that's not what Manny Diaz does. Manny Diaz nitpicks on him in a good way. You know, he's going to fawn over him over how, how, how great he is and how well he plays. And if you remember last year at this time, I forget if it was the preseason or if it was in the spring, when, when he was telling us about how good Abdul Carter was. But once he gets in the program, he's going to hold him to a different standard. And, and that's what he's going to do with these young players, too. So I think all these young guys, to have the talent in front of them and to have a coach like Manny Diaz, I just think is huge for them. And, again, Penn State fans, I don't know how long Manny Diaz is going to be here because that guy's got head coaching all over him. I, I, I don't know exactly what happened at Miami, but I think they're nuts. Uh, but their loss would end up being Penn State's gain, and I think he's just great for that position room. Yeah, I'll say this. It, it, the fact that he's in year two, you're playing with house money on the Manny Diaz situation because a lot of people think didn't think after that defensive performance last year yeah. who Manny Diaz can be as a CEO, face of the franchise kind of guy in college football and as, as a recruiter. Yeah, year two, you'll take it. You'll take it. I don't know about year three, but let's focus on year two. Uh, and, and I think there's some parallels to be drawn a little bit, just picking off of what you said about those really talented young linebackers not being thrown into the mix right away this year. They'll, they're going to earn pathways. I think Tony Ross is going to find his way to the field. I think Tamir Robinson maybe has a shot. We'll see what Kavion Keys can do. He's playing catch up. But the same, same thing you can apply over the offensive line. I mean, they just brought in one of the nation's best offensive line classes, and we're not talking about a single one of them needing to play we're talking about javen williams could maybe be ready to be your fourth offensive tackle and really help stabilize things at that position we're talking about alex birchmeyer maybe being ready to by the end of preseason camp throw his hat in the ring for one of these guard spots if if he progresses enough that's going to be a, a, a high mountain to climb and so and we're not even really discussing anthony donka and chim di ono and, and being factors in the 2d or anything like that and so i think linebacker and offensive line you look at where we were in our talking points last august versus where we are with linebacker and offensive line now 
it's a remarkable turnaround and it's beautiful thing for James Franklin, but it's a very personal thing I'd imagine for Manny Diaz and for Phil Tratwine. And so uh, hats off to where those rooms have come. And I, I want to also get over to, to, to Kaziah Izzard in the defensive tackle room a little bit later. That's something we'll do uh, with that mailbag as well, that, that access to actually compare a little bit the wide receiver situation in the defensive tackle group. But one more note on the injuries is in the freshman class, guys. Uh, we saw London Montgomery come back, which is great news. Uh, we didn't necessarily think that would happen here coming into August because just last August he tore his ACL, missed his entire senior season at Malvern Prep. And yeah, there he was running through drills along with fellow freshman uh, Cam Wallace and, and those established players and Nick Singleton uh, and Katron Allen and the Minnesota veteran who came to town and Trey Potts. And so really good uh, situation to see there. I know they were playing it pretty conservatively with his arrival to, to campus in May. He was feeling good. He came on our podcast prior to getting to campus and said he had to get a lot of life back in his legs, Got to, had to get a lot of strength back in his legs. So he's got a bit of a road to recover, uh, but, but he's underway with it now and he's practicing. And then the other guy who's also practicing, Zion Tracy, you know, a guy who's got a lot of growth to do uh, from a physical development standpoint at cornerback, but he's a, he's a burner, went sub 4-4 at camp last year. Ball skills good enough to, to evaluate him also as a receiver on the recruiting trail last cycle. And we saw him in a sling last winter right when he got to campus, soon after he got to campus as an early enrollee. And we did not see him participate in spring practice. He was out there in what is a very deep group of cornerbacks. So not really expecting London Montgomery, Zion Tracy to, to pop up in September, really in through December. But a couple of guys that are off to a great start. Um, Daniel, what else do you want to uh, take away from that quarterback group? Because we got to go beyond the three that we had seen in spring and mention there's some new passers in town and may not mean much on game days, but it's going to mean a lot in the practice field. Yeah, the, the quarterback group finally has numbers. Uh, you know, we went through all of last year with just four quarterbacks uh, on the field uh, through this in the spring. We just got all the way through with only three with three guys. But you add the two walk ons uh, to the group. Uh, Carson Keyswetter from uh, Bishop Guilfoyle, uh, a lo local kid, uh, and then Jack Lambert uh, coming up from North Carolina. Um, you know, I think in in the perfect world, uh, you don't hear from those guys uh, on on game days at all, uh, outside of you know maybe you know deep deep reserve time. But I think we know that that'll be for Bo Kribula and, and Jackson Smolik this year. But I think that it's a huge benefit in practice. Um, it's a huge benefit for you know, the room, uh, helping guys get reps, especially those wide receivers uh, with, with more guys who can throw passes to them. Uh, I think the, you know, the ship has sailed on James Franklin's ideal of having five scholarship quarterbacks uh, in the room. I think he laid that out two springs ago. Uh, that just doesn't happen uh, in today's college football. I think that you'll be lucky to get through, you know, maybe a season with four like we saw last year. Um, so I think you know, being able to bring players on, you know, who are walk-ons, who did have success at the high school level and, you know, who can help, you know, lighten the load um, on some of your, not even lighten the load because Drew Aller needs as many reps as he can get, but, you know, just to distribute the reps a little bit more, you know, get more wide receivers involved, um, you know, make it so that it's not Mike Yersich, you know, throwing the ball sometimes uh, in certain situations. Um, I think that that is something that can, can really boost that room and, yeah, I think that also I think the more people that are in there, you know, it's the more minds uh, that are seeing seeing these plays. It's more input uh, and it's just overall more competition, even if you don't expect these guys to factor in on Saturdays. So yeah, I think that that was something that was noticeable to me, you know, just from the cosmetic look of practice. 
is looking at that quarterback group you know, and seeing five blue jerseys there uh, instead of just yeah. three, instead of just four. Um, and I think that that's maybe one of the more uh, you know, underrated things as Penn State moves forward. I think a big winner from their arrival is Jackson Smolik. I mean, he should now be able to really comfortably stay with the varsity squad week by week. He's going to be on the travel team. We know that as, as the number three quarterback, uh, as a true freshman, got to campus in January, which is very important. Showed a lot of uh, that poison demeanor that stood out during his recruitment process, the maturity. Uh, you know, seeing working against this defense will, will humble you a bit uh, coming to campus. And he took his lumps, but it sounds like he made it out of spring camp in, in a good spot. But uh, this is going to give him a chance to stay away from that scout team. And you got to challenge your defense on a week-to-week basis. And you want strong walk-on quarterbacks, ideally, to be able to get that done, allow your other quarterbacks to focus on preparing for the opposing defense, not trying to prepare your defense for game day. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Heading over to the receiver room just really quickly, one of the, the guys we were waiting to see was transfer Dante Cephas. He was among 30-plus additions to the roster here in 2023. Many of them arrived back for spring ball in January, but we also saw a bunch get to town in May and June. You sprinkle the walk-ons across the roster now, and, and there's a lot of new faces that we didn't see in Pasadena. What stood out to you guys? I, I went right to those uh, to those linebackers, uh, but in terms of newcomers, you saw Cephas, Daniel. Let's start there, and if anyone else stood out that you got a chance to see for the first time yesterday, I'd take it there. I think Cephas was you know, kind of where your where your eyes went in terms of looking at that wide receiver group um, because there aren't too many you know, new faces there. You know, Carmelo Taylor is, is the only freshman that's coming in. Um, you know, Christian Driver has moved over. I think the biggest difference with the room really is that Malik Mega is number four now. Um, and then some of the other number changes that happened in the spring, but you know, Dante Cephas you know, just physically looked like he belonged in that group. You know, he's someone that he is a veteran. So obviously he's had a lot more physical development, but you know, you're coming from the Mac over to the big 10 uh, and there is you know a, a big leap um, and a big difference in terms of the investment that's made in, in certain areas. So I think that he looked the part physically, you know, watching him go through some drills. He looked really smooth. Uh, I'm, I think everyone's really curious to see how this plays on Saturdays in the Big Ten because uh, he is an addition that can really elevate the level um, of this Penn State offense and, and can give Drew Aller just, you know, potentially a proven game breaker um, out there. So, you know, seeing Cephas there, I was like, this kind of like, okay, you know, he, he passes the eye test. He's not coming in too small. He's not, you know, something different than maybe what we, what we thought we would see, um, you know, going to running back, I would say that, you know, seeing Trey Potts is kind of a, you know, he's definitely a different body type than Katron Allen uh, and Nick Singleton. You know, he feels like a little bit more of a compact, maybe bowling ball type runner. Um, you know, talking to some of his Minnesota teammates out in Indianapolis, former Minnesota teammates, out in Indianapolis, you know, they said that he can really do it all. You know, he's a complete package uh, as a running back. He can catch the ball. He can run it. Um, you know, as soon as Penn State got him, you know, I think I called him maybe the one of the more sneaky, important uh, additions that Penn State has made. Um, and I think that I think that'll bear out. But at the same time, I'm, I've been really impressed with Cameron Wallace, uh, how he's looked coming in. Uh, yeah, I think that on signing day, there was a lot of talk about him being you know, really small, needing a lot of work, um, you know, needing to put on some weight and to develop. But, you know, seeing him at camp a little bit and then seeing him, you know, in uniform in those spider pads, you know, I think that he is someone who is a little bit more built uh, than maybe I expected. 
he's a little bit thicker through the the torso than than I thought he might be. And I think that you know as time goes on, you know, we'll learn a little bit more about him. Maybe learn a little bit more how he might fit in. Um, but I'm really really curious uh, about him. And then just two more guys to to note. I mean Andrew Appelier, Tyler, you said it. I think it was after Lift for Life um, that you know number one pick uh, in terms of the you know when you're out on the playgrounds. You know, looking at him standing next to Tyler Johnson or not Tyler Johnson, Theo Johnson, Tyler Theo Johnson. Warren. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's he fits in. Know, he fits in. Yeah, he he looks like he belongs. Um, and I think that you know, looking at Jerry Cross and Khalil Dinkins, you know, you've seen their physical development. I mean, it's a really really impressive room. Um, and then finally, someone else that we talked about a little bit uh, earlier this offseason was Chim D. Ono um, with him coming in. Um, you know, he was a lot more put together than maybe I thought. Um, he's someone that is definitely, you know, is going to need some time, you know, to fill out and to bulk up. Um, but you look at him and you can really see the the pieces that are there. And, you know, it was kind of funny. He, he's working at left tackle uh, in, in practice yesterday doing some individual stuff. So, you know, you watch him go through and you can really see like, yeah, like this is a big kid. You can really see the frame there. There's length. You know, he's got a great lower body. You know, and you can kind of you can really see what what's going to be there. And then Olu Fashionu steps in, and it's just a complete difference, just with how big Olu is. Uh, you know, compared to a freshman that that you thought was big, and just seeing what four years in the program for that type of athlete for that type of elite prospect, um, you know, it kind of, it, it reminds you of the work that there is to be done uh, for some of these players, especially when it comes to the offensive line. When we saw Ono at lift for life, that was the first thing I thought he, he looks different than the guy who, who you know, we saw in spring and, and, and some of the photos from his uh, senior season. Uh, we had his coach on as well on the podcast. I want to say sometime around signing day, breaking down how much of a raw product he is. Remember he was an old dominion commit didn't have any power five interest early in his senior season. All of a sudden, he was one of the hottest names to know and a top 24-7 prospect uh, come winter. So really strong pickup that was already a, a really strong offensive line class. And, and with Rappelier, quick story here. I don't know if he was looking for a bathroom or if he just lost his way on the field during his first ever Penn State football practice, which is understandable. But I saw him sprinting from the offensive portion of practice, which is where you were, Daniel. I was over situated with the linebackers at this moment, and I thought, oh, my gosh, Theo Johnson is going to sprint into me and knock me over. And then I thought, wait, that's number 87. Pat Fryermuth is going to hit me and knock me over because he looked this big. I mean, this is not uh, – he may have been having a freshman moment and losing his way on the field, but there's nothing freshman about him in physical appearance. And he was very proud of his progress when he came on the podcast this uh, this past spring discussing, hey, hey, I look skinny in my official visit photos at Penn State. I wanted to do something about it. He was about 220 pounds when he was on campus last June. He's 250-plus pounds now. And he and he has cruel intentions. If you watch the film, this is a guy who embraces blocking. In fact, he went to the prep school he went to because they were going to challenge him to be more of a blocker and not just line up out wide as a glorified receiver at that size. And he has made a lot of inroads away from the Penn State facilities. I'm fascinated by where it goes here. I've talked about it a bunch, but I did have a close encounter with Andrew Rappelier in day one of preseason camp. And Cam Wallace has been ahead of schedule, I think, in the eyes of this coaching staff since he showed up on campus. He was that second running back that emerged last year when they were trying to find somebody to pair with London Montgomery, which got a little bit more complicated after Montgomery's injury. Wallace is the guy, rural area in Georgia. They think they got a steal. And if that kind of proves to be the case, 
during this fall camp and he continues to be an ahead of schedule guy, we may see him play on Saturdays ahead of schedule, even though there's three college football Big Ten veterans ahead of him in that running back room. Mark, we've gone all over a lot of those newcomers. Anyone grab your attention there that, that you maybe hadn't seen before uh, or maybe just popped up in a big way because of the way they've progressed over the offseason? Yeah, thanks for leaving me nobody, Daniel. <laughs> you know what? No, in all seriousness, uh, and I know he's not necessarily a newcomer, but I thought Smolik just – he looks different physically to me, you know, and I think that just speaks to – the value of being able to arrive at mid-year, especially for a quarterback, because, you know, if people haven't seen Jackson Small, like when he was in high school, he was a kind of thin guy and he's yes. still not Drew Aller. I mean, he's still not, and, and Prabula looks, looks bigger too, though. Uh, but, but he just looks like he's carrying it a little bit differently. The one thing I would say about Cephas is he's listed at six foot one eighty seven. But I, I agree with Daniel. You, you, you see that on the roster, and you think this is going to be a little guy. But he, the way he carries himself and, and the way he's kind of moves around out there, we know that players of that size can be very effective because we've seen them. So he's not a huge guy like Malik McClain, who but when you see that dude, you're thinking, wow, he's you know 6'4", whatever. The other thing I liked about Cephas – when the scrum broke out, he was a peacemaker. And this is a guy, his first practice, right? That's pretty cool to me. Like a lot of people would take a step back, and, and there were a lot of peacemakers. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, Liam Clifford was right there, which you would expect. But a, a lot of the guys were there. But to see Dante Cephas, a guy who, you know, they're not just looking to for production. I think they're also going to be looking to him for some leadership in that room as an older guy. And that kind of stood out to me. And I know he's not younger. Uh, he is still young. But I have to tell you, I stood about one foot away from Nick Singleton. Yikes. I mean, again, I know I'm, I'm going off course here. I'm just telling you people. You he, chart your own course, Mark. You chart your own course. Yeah, I do. You you guys know that. That's nothing <laughs> new. But I, what is he What is he even listed at? I mean, I, I, I'm like – He's even bigger than he was and just absolutely ripped. Six foot him. 224. Yeah. Six foot 224. That seems about him. right. But he's got – that's about as good a looking at 224 as, as you're going to see. I mean, I, you know, I was right there during the drills. And if you have a chance, check out the the, the, the video that we put up. And it just so happened, like, it, you, could, you could get to certain areas where we're allowed to go. And that was one of the areas. And I, I, before the podcast got through, I wanted to make sure people knew that, you know, I know there's a lot of hype about this guy and believe the hype, believe the hype. I mean, it's, he's got everything going for him and he absolutely passes a look test. So I know, as you said, I got to chart my own course, but since Daniel stole all the other names that I was hoping to throw out there, uh, I figured I'd go in a little different direction. Yeah, and I can confirm that the six foot three, two hundred and fifty pound Abdul Carter also uh, still on track to be the guy you think he's going to be. Yeah. Uh, and and oh, by the way, that that yeah, that two hundred and twenty four pounds that that Singleton carries, he moves that weight faster than anyone moves their weight in this entire program. So let's remember the speed element. And if he's going to bring a little bit more of a banger mentality between the tackles, we saw that, I think, about his game. It was probably the most fun part of, of how he grew as a running back from September through the Rose Bowl was the way he went to the second level, embraced some of that contact instead of trying to always wiggle forward or look for, look for the room to use his speed. I mean, we're talking about 
him and Katron Allen, Jaywan Slater, it's like it's it's just gonna be really fun to watch. Maybe we should be talking about hey, wide receivers, watch out. We'll put both these running backs on the field with more frequency and take take a third wide receiver off. We keep saying put two tight ends on the field. Maybe we should be talking about putting two of these running backs on the field at the same time because it's that kind of a group. Um, Tyler, all right, well, one guy, can I yeah. throw one other guy in? Sure. And it's not like he passed the, the look test at 5'9, 164, but Ethan Black, the guy who participated in more Penn State camps than ever. I think we can call him a walk-on now. Uh, all of the Penn State 40-yard dash records, whenever he gets his opportunity <laughs> to run, he yeah. is going to be at the top of the list, people. I am just telling you. So, yeah. But, like, for everybody who has been you – know, all the players who have been putting out their numbers on social media, forget about it. Ethan Black will be at the top of that list soon enough. And if you don't know about Ethan Black, look it up. The, you know, PIAA – multiple state champion, super duper fast, was running four, two and change, right? At, 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 at like every Penn State camp that he attended. And he attended like every Penn State camp. I don't know if they can turn this guy into a receiver because he's a pure track guy. But do not be surprised. I don't know if it'll be this year, but he's going to be a guy who I think is ultimately has a chance to do some things on special teams and maybe develop a new receiver. But that that weight room big board, he's going to be at the top of that thing in a 40-yard dash soon enough. Yeah, as Deion Sanders once said, he can run, run. And, and we saw Ethan Black do it over and over and over at Penn State camps. And if they're going to make him a receiver, it's because they're trying very hard. This is We've seen two different wide receiver coaches here with the Nittany Lions work with this kid very closely on the practice field the couple summers. We just saw Ethan Black camp here like six days ago, and now he's in a Penn State uniform. This kid is clearly embracing football. If you're worried about a track guy putting on a football pads, he has been working for this moment. And you're right, that's a fun storyline to, to monitor. Two other names I wanted to get to over in the defensive backfield, and not the guys I expected to come away with saying, wow, really looks like he's you know a different guy physically. Cam Miller is one. He played a lot of football last year. He burned his red shirt as a backup cornerback. Going to take a major leap this year. We know that. I love everything about his game. I love what he did in high school and Jacksonville finishing off his career at Trinity Christian. But I didn't think he would ever look this fit, like this part. Uh, he has really filled out. A lot of definition, lower body. Uh, he just looks like a safety almost, the way he's kind of packing on uh, some of this muscle. That surprised me a little bit with Cam Miller. I had to be double-checked that he was number five. He was, uh, so that's good to see. And then Tyrese Mills, largely a forgotten man when we assess this football program right now. Last year he came to camp after a career at safety at Lackawanna College. He played linebacker for about a week, and then he got hurt. And he missed the rest of the season. He was a side, he was a sideline spectator the rest of the way through, all into the Rose Bowl. Got back on the field this spring, played some safety, settling it back in there now. And I just think physically, this kid looks really good. I wouldn't have said that this time last year. Uh, he was making that jump from the junior college. He was dealing with an injury almost immediately upon hitting the field. So kudos to him. It seems like he's put in a strong offseason. I have no idea what's going to happen for him in the safety room. He's got a big mountain to climb in terms of getting substantial playing time and he's got a couple of really good freshmen in that group now uh but Tyrese Mills is a man that we can't forget about just yet in year two at a Lackawanna college uh like his teammate over on the other side of the ball JB Nelson who's going to be an impact too deep player on the offensive line both of them made that move from Lackawanna in 2022 uh you guys ready for some mailbag questions uh we have anything else to get to before we get there 
All right, let's. Oh, we do have one thing. Apology for me. Uh, 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 London Montgomery, when I mentioned that, Mark sent me a note here in our chat. Uh, Scranton Prep. I said Malvern Prep. I apologize on that one. Malvern Prep, of course. Cole Region people are going to get after you, man. Cole Region Scranton. Uh, London Montgomery, the pride of Scranton Prep, had a monster junior season there. We didn't get to see him as a senior, but it was at Scranton Prep where he did that damage. All right, moving forward, it is time for our notebook, uh, or sorry, for our mailbag. And we've had that up on the uh, message boards for a bit now. Hopefully, we'll get a little bit more interest in it at lines247.com. If you're a VIP subscriber, you have access to this anytime. Drop your question or your topic into our uh, crystal. uh, Jeez, I keep calling it the wrong thing here. Into into our mailbag. I'm not using the mailbag enough. Uh, The mailbag is pinned up at the top of our Lions Pride message board. And if you're not on our board, you'll hear it pop up here on the podcast, and, and we're going to jump into it right now. The first one is about Zariah Fisher, who missed much of last season after suffering an injury in the spring camp of 2022. Uh, he is in year four with the program, defensive end, came in as a linebacker, and this person wants to know, how is Zariah Fisher coming along? Will he be part of the two deep? I'll, I'll give kind of my thoughts on this one and, and, and toss it over to you, Daniel, for your thoughts maybe on the defensive end group in general. Because I don't think he's going to be a part of the two deep. And that's because this defensive end group may be the deepest in, in, in this roster. I mean, James Franklin keeps pointing to it at in public situations saying, check out this defensive end group. Check it out. Watch this room. They're going to be really good. They're deep. you got to go Adiza Isaac, deny Dennis Sutton, Chop Robinson, Amin Vanover as the established leading four in that group. And then I think you start to work your way. And Zariah Fisher might be the next name you get to. And I mean, we had a conversation here a couple of weeks ago with Adiza Isaac and Denai Dennis Sutton, who I think have a pretty good feel for the situation. And they said Zariah Fisher and Amin Vanover were the two players they feel like weren't getting spoken about enough on this defensive line. So I think Zariah Fisher's in a very good spot. I think he was uh, it was encouraging to see him get back last November, knock some of that rust off, not just in some of the game action he saw, but in all that bowl practice. I mean, that was really important. Maybe nobody benefited more for 2023 than Zariah Fisher did from getting that December of, of bowl practice because when you miss you know, a big chunk of spring ball and then all of summer camp and then almost all of the season – you lose a lot of what you know, a, a lot of not just the, the the physical stuff that keeps you sharp and keeps you uh, competing at the power five level, but some of the mental stuff you're in danger and you're at risk of losing that. So I think Zariah Fisher weathered that storm. He's out the other side now, and he's a guy that I think some of us were wondering if he could be a breakout player last year. If this is the year, breakout doesn't need to be a gaudy stat sheet. I think when you look at this defensive end group, if he can be kind of a, a situational rusher, if he can wreak some havoc, uh, you know, get 15 to 20 snaps a game potentially, that's all you really need for him. And you're going to lose some of these guys to the top of the defensive end pecking order next offseason. So really what this year is about for me is setting Zariah Fisher up for a strong finish to his Penn State career because he's still in a bit of a gray area right now coming off of a very limited use season in which he was injured. So this is a chance for him to reestablish himself get back on the right track and close out his Nittany Lions career strong beyond 2023. I, I think when you're talking about a, a TD, but defensive end, that's only four spots. Yeah. And with, with this team, three of those spots are pretty much automatically taken by Adisa Isaac, Trap Robinson and deny Dennis Sutton. Um, and you know, I've been, I've been high on Amin Vanover for a little while now. And so, you know, I would probably have him penciled in there at number four, but the way that Penn state uses its defensive ends and the way that they rotate, um, I think that defensive end is one of those positions where you think about it more as like the the top six, um, you know, maybe the top seven. You know, we've seen that Manny Diaz is willing to get creative, 
uh, with different packages to get different players onto the field uh, in different situations. So, you know, I, I think that even if Zariah Fisher isn't part of the two deep this year, um, I think that he is someone who can play himself into a role. Um, talking to Adisa Isaac out in Indianapolis a couple of days after he was on this podcast, he mentioned Zariah Fisher as someone that he's excited about. He also mentioned Amin Vanover. Um, I think that he is just you know, really excited and high on that group um, as a whole. So I think Zariah Fisher is someone who could you know, definitely surprise some people and, and come up with some, some splash plays here or there. Um, I think that that defensive end room is going to be really disruptive. And I think the ability to keep them fresh um, across 60 minutes of football is going to be something that, you know, where Zariah Fisher, Amin Vanover, you know, where those guys really shine. Yeah, Fisher was a major riser in 24-7 sports rankings for the 2020 class, uh, very late in the process. Uh, In-state prospect, uh, for a moment there, it looked like he might be heading to Michigan State. It uh, was a big win for Penn State in that cycle. Came to town as a linebacker, and now we'll see what he can do. So I guess I shouldn't say not not fully no for the two deep, but if you're going to give me a fifth guy and, and, and knowing how Penn State has rotated guys in, he's going to see plenty of action, as we both said. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add on the defensive end group, Mark, but uh, it, you know, we just keep hearing about it. And when you hear James Franklin hammering something this emphatically in a public situation, pay attention. I mean, just, there's a lot of things he doesn't want to get into, but you can read into this. Yeah. I would also say just going back to Zariah, remember last year, James Franklin said he was done for the year and then he came yeah. back late in the season. So, you know, I think when we're talking about him, you, you wonder what might have been had he not been injured, but he's still working his way back. Now, do I think he's 100% physically? Yes, but there's a difference, and I think we saw this with Adisa Isaac last year, right, where he missed mm-hmm. the entire previous season, and even though he was 100% healthy, it took a number of games for him to get back into his groove. So, yeah, the other thing, that you know, uh, on a two deep, as Daniel noted, it's not going to be a two deep at the end. I mean, they're going to play five, six guys. So the two deep isn't really relevant to me other than who's, you know, other than your big three who are going to see the most snaps. And then you're going to play five or six guys all together. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and with, by the way, I asked uh, James Franklin last November, once we saw Fisher get back on the field, because I, I heard the same thing. You like, I thought it wasn't a pretty definitive. He's out for the season. And I said, what was he's ahead of schedule getting back. And James, in that moment in time, in that media scrum, told me no, it, pretty much on schedule what we thought. So I don't, I don't know if that timeline got accelerated, but I, that just reminded me of that conversation because I thought that that Zariah Fisher was ahead of schedule, but he never talks about injuries. Moment. He doesn't talk yeah. about injuries until he does, and then he forgets no. what he told us, and then he. Which, which hey, is- we're hey, we're not quite there yet. We're, we we got. We're, We'll knock on this table for Penn State, but we haven't gotten into asking about injuries yet, and, yeah. and we don't need to yet, but uh, we'll get there pretty soon. That's inevitable. This is football. All right, next mailback question to finish things off, and this is the one I alluded to earlier. Uh, defensive tackle and receiver seem like the groups with the most variance in potential performance. What, Which gives you more confidence and why? Daniel, I'll let you start with the wide receiver perspective here, I guess, because you spent a lot of time watching them yesterday. I'll talk more about defensive tackle because I was posted up with them for a bit. Um, I know my verdict, though. Um, I'm going DT in this conversation personally. Yeah, I agree with you on the defensive tackles uh, here um, in terms of the confidence. And I think the, the reason why is the experience. I think when you're talking about 
those defensive tackles, Devon Elise, Kazai Izzard, Hakeem Beeman, even Zane Durant. That's a lot of experience there, a lot of experience in the Big Ten. Um, even if, as we saw against Michigan last year, it didn't always go as planned. Um, and then I think when you look at these wide receivers, I think that there's a lot of raw talent there. Um, I think that it's a very intriguing room, but you're very light on experience, um, especially at the Big Ten. Uh, to As the Dante Cephas caveat there, I think he's someone who has played a lot of football, but he's still going to be facing a little bit of a learning curve. Um, and at the same time, no better way to attack that learning curve than against the Penn State secondary um, in camp. But I think with the wide receivers, Keandre Lambert-Smith is the only one who has really produced in the Big Ten. Uh, Trey Wallace got some valuable experience last year, but he was still you know, a little bit on the periphery of the rotation. Uh, you know, And then Omari Evans was kind of a, a step below there. But you know, I will say that first impressions uh, and seeing the guys yesterday, Trey Wallace and Omari Evans look bigger. Um, they're two guys that came in, I think, a little bit more as athletes. You know, we all know about Trey Wallace's basketball highlight tapes uh, down in Alabama. You know, we know that Omari Evans was a speedster who played quarterback in high school in Texas. I think that those are two guys that have had to transform their bodies a little bit to become wide receivers. Um, and I think that you were able to see that um, and kind of how they look now. You know, what, what that means for their kind of, you know, raw traits, that speed for Evans, that athleticism for Wallace, we'll see. Um, but that was noticeable to me. Um, and then I thought Caden Saunders looked really twitchy uh, in kind of how he was going through drills, how he was moving. Obviously, it is on air, <laughs> um, so it, you don't really have anything to compare it to. But I just thought that the way that he was moving through things, you know, he looks physically, um, you know, he looks ready. Uh, I think that he's someone that they kind of had to, from a weight perspective, they had to kind of tear down and build back up in terms of putting on good weight, putting on muscle. Uh, and I think that we're really going to see that. I think that he is someone that can, you know, potential of the guys who didn't play last year, who didn't burn a red shirt. Um, I think he is in position to really take a leap um, and, and join this rotation. So, yeah, I think that the pieces are there, um, but I think that Marcus Higgins has kind of a, a bit of a, a task in front of him and, you know, molding this together and finding the three, four, five, six guys that you can really depend on on a weekly basis. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the comparing and contrasting the, the question, as the question lays out these two positions, uh, you can probably go eight guys deep at least when, when just saying who could be a factor in September at, at that spot. I think the difference for me is defensive tackle. You're going from that eight from the group of eight. You probably have five guys who have played sustained stretches of Big Ten football wide receiver. You've got what one or two guys who have, who have really done it in a Penn State uniform for a course of at least an entire season. Amari Evans, I know, played in all 13 games with five catches for 55 yards. Harrison Wallace, you know, he, he was he was a factor all season long. Andre Lambert Smith has had those campaigns under his belt. McLean's done it elsewhere. Cephas has done it elsewhere. And then you've got this cluster of of of. of you know, unproven talent. And and I think it starts with Caden Saunders in terms of who could break out. I think he's the guy I continue to say tracking his progression. This training camp is really important among among that that group of four uh, red shirt freshmen wide receivers. Uh, and then Liam Clifford, Malik Mega. Again, they've been with the program a while. They've, they've got it done on special teams. We've seen them in some game action, but I'm not going to say we've seen them show up sustained ways 
in conference play. And that's what's going to ultimately win you a championship. So if we're talking about what, which eggs am I putting the basket or which basket I'm putting my eggs in, uh, it's got to be the defensive side here uh, because you could, you mentioned uh, several of those names, one you did not get to and been a bit of a common theme, maybe on this podcast and all off season for people, Jordan Vandenberg, know the name. I mean, we, he's played a lot of big 10 football too, and he is prime for a jump. Deion Barnes loves this guy. The staff loves him. He was named one of the three Iron Lions uh, for top offseason performers. He had a phenomenal experience in the weight room the last several months, and he's a guy that has a hell of a background. We probably haven't talked about it enough. Maybe he gives us a reason to do it. South Africa, through Georgia, through the JUCO scene, comes to campus with a quarterback that Penn State's interested in. He ends up being the bell of the ball that day, gets an offer, and before any immediate outlet can really interview the guy, he's enrolled, and, and all of a sudden, you know, meet Jordan Vandenberg. And, and and so I think we're really going to get to know him this year. Davon Townley's a wild card for me there, beyond some of the, the, the known commodities, because, I mean, he, walking toward that group yesterday, he might have been the guy that jumped out right, right away to me, just in terms of his stature, converted defensive end, you know, came out of the transfer portal last winter after spending December in, in that no man's land uh, and, and being away from the team. Uh, can he make some kind of a dent on the depth chart this year? Or is he still in, in progression mode through another fall? Um, you know, let's not forget, he's a former blue chip prospect who was more of a basketball talent in high school. So there's still a high ceiling in place. And that's a big reason why, even though he entered the portal, Penn State said, yeah, we'll take you back. And then the more obvious names, I'm going to point out three that looked like they have been eating well, and they've been packing on the pounds, and they've been listening to James Franklin. Uh, Hakeem Beeman, which I know is the one that people have been waiting on a long time because I think he's been listed under 260 pounds for about half of his career, if not more of it. Uh, and then Zane Durant is another who we saw last year as more of that uh, pass rush specialist situational guy. Maybe you remove the situational tag from him now that he's filled out. He's feeling more confident. The staff's feeling more confident in what he can do holding up against the run. And then Kaziah Izzard. I mean, you mentioned this earlier when we were talking about guys who came back from injury. He wasn't a spring practice participant. He was a participant yesterday, and he's listed, I think, at 294, 295 pounds. I think he might be heavier than that. I, I, I'm pretty confident in saying that. I mean, this guy has really filled out, and he actually looks like he might be the answer to the question of who could be the, the P.J. Mustafer stand tall and take up space you know, in that moment kind of guy. I think Izzard brings a lot more to the table than that, but he may be able to be that presence when you need it, freeing up some of the other guys around him, all the athleticism on the defensive uh, defensive line. So uh, that's why I'm at where I'm at with the defensive tackle group versus wide receiver. And I know we just laid out a bunch of it, Mark, but you want to chime in on, on the question as well? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any question but defensive tackle. And, you know, that was an area that I think even going into the spring, we were wondering about how it was going to kind of turn out. And I think some of the things that you mentioned, Tyler, some of the lighter players, you know, adding some weight, Izzard coming back. I think a guy everybody's sleeping on is Devon Ellis. You know, this guy's a team leader. Do I think he's going to be an all Big Ten player? No, but he's going to be a grinder who goes in there and does some really good things for you. I've missed Jordan Vandenberg in the past. We've had these discussions, but I have to tell you, there was a moment at practice yesterday. I had to hustle over to shoot a video of the defense. And on one side, it was Terry Smith leading a violent rap and roll. I think it was or rap and something where uh, they held a tackling dummy and the players came in and just ripped it and then rolled onto a, uh, onto a pad. And then over on this side, there were players just working on form tackling. So one guy would stand there and they would just go in and then drop you down. So 
this was kind of slow motion over on this side. And over here, it was like, boom, boom, boom. So with this violent rap and roll or whatever it was called, the defensive backs, they're really light. And they can fly through the air and just smash that bag. And if you look at the video, it's pretty cool. Like Keaton Ellis and, and, and KJ Winston, and you're just hearing them hit this bag. And at one point, I'm over looking at the other drill, and I hear this whoosh coming at me, and I quickly turn over, and it's Vandenberg going like 100 miles an hour <laughs> hitting that bag. And I was like, holy, you know what? Typically, the big dudes don't hit with – they're not flying that fast. And I think it's just a little example of – you know, it's one of the cool things we get to see at practice, where why are people high on this guy? Well, yeah, he obviously is one of the, what they call him, the Iron Lions, the guys who did the best in the weight room along with Nick Singleton and Theo Johnson. But you see him going through a drill like that, first day of practice, you know, I know I'm putting a lot on this first day of practice, but I'm telling you, when a guy's ripping through a drill like that, that that opens your eyes. So that that was just like a little anecdote that I saw that as all these things were going on, you expect the DBs to be doing that you expect the linebackers but usually the big dudes it's a little harder for them to do it but not jordan vandenberg man he, he went through this thing i would look for him he, he's gonna have i will bet you some of the biggest pops of their defensive tackles uh this year i mean i just think he brings that sort of violence and there are some violent dudes some guys who move really well in that room this should give you a sense of where the team is at on day one of practice you've got to work really hard uh, to not forget guys, because there's a lot of them as we work our way down these positions. We talked about depth back on Tuesday, looking ahead of the start of preseason camp. It was very apparent as we got our first look at this squad all together now and getting ready for September 2nd kickoff against West Virginia. We'll be back uh, with all the, with essentially all the players on the roster. We won't get the first year players, uh, but we'll get coordinators. We'll get assistant coaches. We'll hear from James Franklin on Sunday at Beaver stadium. We'll also get back at practice later in the day. So again, that 75% offer, uh, 75% offer that ends uh, midnight tonight. Jump on it if you can. If you missed it, sorry about that. We'll have other offers. Uh, go check out lines247.com. We're always happy to bring on new VIP subscribers. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode. We covered an hour. We've got a lot more. If this wasn't enough for you from day one, uh, practice report, about 2,000 words up at lines247.com. Full photo gallery, defense, offense, special teams, newcomers, veterans, a lot there. Uh, full Three minutes of, of video highlights that Mark put together all across the field as well. Some of the rising stars on this roster and an injury update recap and bringing you up to speed on how this roster entered the 2023 preseason camp in really good health. Daniel, Mark, always appreciate it. It's fun to talk about watching live football or at least live football drills again. It beats speculating about watching live football or live football drills. So uh, here we go, man. Buckle up. Uh, talk to you both real soon. Thanks, yeah. Tyler. Thanks. All right, we'll be back with another episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Next Tuesday, we'll break down everything we saw and heard from Penn State Media Day and our latest trip to the practice field. Also, we'll have a guest that's one of my favorites here at the Lions 24-7 podcast. I know he's one of your favorites as well. So stay tuned for another episode. Big week ahead once again. And by the way, Tyler Calvaruso has a huge piece up at Lions247.com just a few moments ago. Summer superlatives for the 2024 class. So even though we're shifting focus to on-field football action, 
The recruiting train keeps rumbling forward at lines247.com. Thanks to our good friend, Tyler Calvaruso. Stepping aside for now, I am Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast.